Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. We are in Chapter 4, which we recently discovered is about generalized algebraic data types. These are data types where you can have an argument to the data type that changes and sort of varies as you dig deeper into the data. You know, so for like the list type, the list type is not this kind of a type. It's just a regular old uh, parameterized data type. So people would say if you've got a if you've got a type list of A's, that A is a parameter. It stays the same. You know, parameter is something that's sort of fixed up front and does not vary as you go through something. So here, list of A's, the A is a parameter, and as you dig down into a list of A's, you're only going to find, you know, in the recursive positions for the data type, you're only going to find more lists of A's. You're not going to find lists of some other type. In a GADT, a generalized algebraic data type, the this kind of a type argument to the type constructor can vary. It can change as you dig into the data. And a good example of this that we've talked about many times in this chapter is vector. So if you have a vector of a's of length n, well, as you dig into that vector, first of all, as you dig in, you're going to discover, maybe you'll find out that n is zero and it's just the empty vector. Or maybe you're going to find out that it's n is successor of some other n prime, and you've got a tail, which is a vector of a's of length n prime. You see, so we, just in this little example, you see the idea of index refinement. So uh, as we pattern match on data, we can learn something about the indices. Because if you have a cons, a vector cons uh, piece of data, a piece of data built with vector cons, the only index it could possibly have is successor of something. And similarly, if you have a piece of data built with nil, the only index it can possibly have is zero. And so... When you, in Haskell with GADTs or in other languages that support GADTs or similar index, uh, indexed data types, you can, you, you should, for this to be, you know, for the feature to be fully, completely implemented, you should have some capability of refining the index to a type as you do pattern matching. So anyway, that's, we discovered, I say we discovered this because I thought I was going to talk about dependent types in general, but I realized there's as we kind of talked on and on about this, and I hope you're not getting sick of it, uh, that there was um, that there was actually plenty to say and a lot of interesting examples you can already just do with generalized algebraic data types, and you don't need the full power of dependent types. And again, what's the difference? Well, with dependent types, these indices can be program expressions coming from your actual programming language, the, the part of the language you use for writing programs and, um, and this sort of thing. So uh, whereas with GADTs, they are not program expressions. They're expressions from other, some other syntactic category. And a simple example of a, what another syntactic category could be is that they could be types. And that's exactly what the situation is in Haskell. You can have type-level expressions as the indices that vary in a generalized algebraic data type. Anyway, and so having talked about this for a bit, uh, th still the you know there's a lot more one can say, and I'm saying all this as um, I you know have some claim to expertise in dependent type theory, but I, I don't consider myself an expert in the sort of the special characteristics of GADTs. I haven't really programmed with them terribly much. Um, that is with programming in a setting where I have this restriction that those indices can't be general program expressions, but have to be from a separate domain. So, um, you know, I'm kind of going on and on about this, but I'm, I'm learning and reviewing some of this as we go. So hopefully it'll be helpful. Uh, um, if there are true experts listening out, 
out there, you know, feel free to correct me by email if I'm saying something that's not uh, not quite sensible. But anyway, uh, so I'm just running through some examples that come to mind or that I know of already for how you can use index to data types and these kind of GADTs. And so we talked about sort of data structures. You can use them to enforce data structure invariants or to reveal, to track at the type level some information about data. So vectors, you're going to track their length um, in the type. And so you get some static, you know, compile time verification about uh, the lengths of things or, or properties of the lengths. And um, we have talked about binary search tree. That's another example. You can come up with many more examples um, of data types where you use indices to enforce some property or to reveal some property of the data. And we talked last time about a pretty cool and interesting example, which is uh, a special case of having an EDSL, an embedded domain-specific language. So we can have uh, embedded domain-specific languages that people, you know, functional programmers love these. Uh, Haskellers definitely love these. You have some other computer language you're interested in, and you represent it as a data type. This already is like actually a totally awesome and cool idea. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering how far one can trace that back. I'm um, certainly in ML, the original ML devised by Robin Milner uh, at Edinburgh. I hope I got that right. Goodness, that would be embarrassing to be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, the uh, ML, the, it was st this abbreviation stands for meta language, and it was a meta language for controlling a, um, for building proofs in some theory the logic of computable functions and some theory for reasoning about uh, uh, general recursive functions. And anyway, so there, yes, we have data types that represent formulas and this kind of thing. Uh, and so we've embedded the language of formulas as a data type in ML. And so I, I presume that's one of, the, one of the first examples of this kind of thing in a functional language, because that's, that's pretty early on in the history of functional languages. I mean, it really sort of starts in the 60s with Lisp, I think is generally considered the first functional language, um, although it has many features now that a, a good functional programmer will feel upset or uh, <laughs> not too happy about. Um, there's certainly some crazy things that you can do in Lisp but just are not good practice from functional programming or really any standpoint, sorry, <laughs> Lispers. Um, uh, so, but anyhow, so we can embed languages in, as a data type, and the interesting thing with GDTs is that we can embed them as data types with some extra information that we're tracking in the type system, just the way we track the lengths of vectors. And a good example of information to track is the type of some embedded uh, object, some embedded syntactic object. So uh, if you're representing a typed language, then, and if you're the type system for this typed language, is, could be seen as some subset of Haskell's type system, for example, then there you go. You can basically use Haskell's type checker to type check your embedded expressions. This is pretty cool. And the example I mentioned last time, which I haven't really seen anybody talk about too much, I don't think there's any, you know, it's not a particularly deep insight, really, but the fact that you can subset the language itself, so you can just, the, the language you're embedding could be a subset of the, the, of the very same host language. So you can embed a fragment of Haskell into Haskell this way, and then you can absolutely use Haskell's type checker to type check your embedded expressions, because you say, I've got an expert, you have the type you use, instead of just being type like expert, let's say, or term, or something like that, that means, you know, the type for 
uh, expressions or abstract syntax trees or something. Maybe you have a type AST. Let's say expr. You have a type expr, and it's got an index. And that index is a Haskell type A, which is the same Haskell type as the embedded expression has. So if you were um, embedding, say you're embedding list operations, Haskell list, list operations, you want to embed them as a data type. So you want to have a constructor that corresponds to list append. And when you first think about this, it sounds weird, but just remember, you're like, I've got this program, it's going to do list append, but I don't actually want to run that program, I want to represent that program as a piece of data so that I can do things with it, like compile it or simplify it or do other stuff with it. And so in this case, for list append, you would have a constructor called, you know, the constructor for list append, and it takes in an expert list A and another expert list A, and it gives you back an expert list A. In other words, you use Haskell's type system to make sure that when you call the constructor for list append, you're giving it two expressions which both have Haskell type list of A's. And you get back then something, an expression representing, you know, for rep a representation of an expression that has type list of A's again. So this is pretty cool. So you can do sort of typed subsetting of your language. I think that's pretty cool. And I'm planning to try that for my class for homework so I can insist that the students only use, you know, certain operations uh, to, to do some exercise, right? You can make a tricky exercise where you're kind of like, well, instead of just being able to use the full power of Haskell, you can only use these, these three functions. Can you write the, can you still solve the problem? Um, okay, so that's subsetting. Now, another example of using index types, uh, and, and there's a lot of examples for what they call generic, data type generic programming. So um, this is the idea that you're, you want to write one print function that works for all data types in your whole language. That seems like, how would you possibly do that? But actually, you can do stuff like that in Haskell. Uh, and um, I don't really want to talk about that example particularly right now, but I want to talk about this idea that um, you can program with representations of types. Because that's what you basically end up doing with data type generic programming. You have some piece of data that represents a type. And so then your generic, your data type generic program can look at that piece of data to figure out what type is it and it can take different action based on the type. Because in Haskell, you can't actually write a program that pattern matches on the real, the actual Haskell type directly. But you can use this sort of proxy. We saw the same thing with uh, singleton types. Instead of operating directly on expressions from the index domain, you can operate on kind of a program level proxy. And this proxy is connected to the index domain by being indexed by the expression it's a proxy for. <laughs> right? So in this case, if I'm doing, oh gosh, I'm sorry, to, um, <laughs> I see a, an alarming line where I need to go park. Um, Okay, anyhow, <laughs> Iowa Type Theory Commute hits a snag behind a concrete mixer truck and a bunch of cars trying to turn to park. Oh, boy. Um, I got to teach in 27 minutes, so I hope I can get through here. Anyhow, my personal sides aside, uh, the, um, so say, you know, so you can have a piece of data that represents a type, and then you can do things that sort of look like you're pattern matching on a type, which you can't really do, by pattern matching on this proxy for the type. Um, 
And an example like this, and you could do this in Haskell there, generally it seems to be interest in writing data type generic functions where you sort of write the function one time and it magically, amazingly just can work for any data um, in, ha in Haskell that you have, like printing functions or stuff like that. That's that's really is quite cool. But I have a little bit different example in mind, which is um, suppose, you know, so one kind of interesting thing to do to use index types for is um, uh, if you want to do some type level computation, like say you want to have a function where you give it a number n and then it eats n arguments. Okay, so that means it's type. The, the way you would usually do this independently type programming is you say, I got a function that takes in a number n and then it takes in a foo of n, where foo of n is some or sorry, then it then it then you give you sorry, it takes in a number n and it gives you back something of type foo of n, where foo of n is defined recursively on the number n. It's a type that's computed recursively from the number n. And they can say, you know, well, in the base case, if n is zero, you're just going to return that the type is, let's say, nat. And um, in the successor case, the type is I take in a nat and then I return so you have a successor of n. Your type is going to be, I take in a nat and I return a foo of n. And this, well, sorry if I didn't succeed in communicating that by talking through the recursion while I'm still kind of panicked about my parking situation. Um, but the, the idea is that I might like to be able to represent a type that takes in n inputs, n nat inputs, and then returns a nat. Okay? And so as I said, kind of the usual way that you would think of this independently type programming is with a type level function. You, um, you write a type level function that computes this type, like nat, of nat, nat to nat to nat to nat to nat, where you have n nat inputs. It's going to compute that from n. But there is another way you can do this, which is basically with GADTs. Um, and so you can have a, uh, you can have an index type to represent this kind of foo of uh, this kind of add nat of nat of nat of nat. Uh, and, um, so your your type will be indexed. You're going to basically build up this type nat to nat to nat to nat in, uh, in an index to a type that represent to a to of a type that rep, for data that represents that um, that that nested type. And then you can write code that will pattern match on the representation of the type and take different action. Um, so in this kind of case, you wouldn't, um, you probably would just dispense with n altogether. And you just say, I'm taking in this thing that represents a certain interesting type. And the, the type is the index. And when you craft this data type itself for the, the, for the type representation, you know, you're going to have a, a base case and a step case, and the base case is, is corresponds to what you'd have when n is zero, but we don't even need an n. We can just say, all right, in the base case, you need to return an at, and in the step case, you take in an at, and then you return a t, where t is the index for a sub, a piece of sub data of this type representation that represents, you know, nat to nat to nat to nat. We have one fewer nat than you had at the outer level. Um, sorry if that was confusing to talk through. Uh, let's blame the mixer truck. Uh, okay, so anyway, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you again another time soon.